gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Well, as soon as Jack was made captain, the script was written. Him lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League. He will always be Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Hello and welcome back to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined as always by Mark. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Mark Jarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. We're going to go around to some of the things that have happened in the past week, different results, different opinions. It's what we love to do here on the podcast. Uh, so I guess first up, Regan, we should talk about the Carabao Cup game against Wolves. Happened in midweek. Uh, full-time result in a 2-1 to the Villa. Uh, so they're moving into the quarterfinals, and it ended up that they drew Liverpool with that date yet to be determined. So it ended up with Anwar Al-Ghazi scoring in the 28th minute for Villa. He latched on to a really, really nice through ball from Henry Lansbury. Uh, what did you make about, you know, uh, just Lansbury's overall performance? Did you, did you think that he looked out of place whatsoever? Even though it's a Carabao Cup game and, you know, Wolves rotated quite a bit. Were you happy with his performance? Well, yeah, I think he, he had, I, I think generally he won the uh, Man of the Match award. Um, but... I was I was happy with his performance. I think he's he's performing well in the cup. Um, I think he he missed the Brighton game, but he played against Crew and he played against Wolves. Um, so in two Carabao Cup games, he's picked up five assists, and that's exactly what you want from Lansbury. You know, he's not necessarily getting the game time in the Prem. So when he's called upon in the cup, you know, he's 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 pulling up trumps. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, statistically and even just his body language, I thought was really positive throughout this game. Uh, you wrote an article about it on undergaslamp.com earlier this week after the result. So if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and check that out. It's a really, really well-written article by Regan. Um, we, we try our best to, you know, include all the members of the squad, even the ones that might be getting rotated in just for this cup game. So after the uh, the Anwar goal, uh, El Mohamedy ended up scoring in the 57th minute. Uh, it was a really, really nice cross yet again by Henry Lansbury. Found the Egyptian at the near post. So I, I don't know. Do you think Lansbury finds himself on the bench after you know things of this nature? Do you think he's in contention in, in case of an injury? What's your what's your point of view on Lansbury going forward? Well, I think you know he he makes Dean, Dean Smith's obviously very fond of him, and he he said that in interviews. Um, and he makes he makes the matchday squad when he's fit. You know he's been on the bench for a lot of the games this season. Um, but I think you know the the more he performs in the cup, the more likely he is to come on and um, you know get get a you know thirty minutes rather than ten. I think it just depends on who we're playing against. You know, uh, if we're against you know sides in the top six, um, then you know I think you're more likely to see uh, you know if it's Hurahan and Lansbury on the bench, you're more likely to see Connor come on if we're against a top side because he has more defensive attributes. Um, whereas Lansbury is more of an attacking player, even though Harahan is our top scoring midfielder. Um, so I think it depends on the way that the game's going. I think if we're chasing the game, then you know we'll we're more likely to see Lansbury pick up some more game time. 
Yeah, I, th- I think he can be a player, and I thought he always really could have been. And a lot of people think that, you know, and again, you know, you talk about it within your article on the website, you know, him being a little bit of a sick note, and that might be the case. I, and I think that's just been an unfortunate set of circumstances for him. I think he can influence the game. I think his passing is really, really crisp. Uh, that's something about his game I've always, you know, really fancied. But um, I, I think that the only time he'll get any kind of crazy minutes this season, I think it's going to be if there's an injury to that midfield that we've seen so far that is rotated in and out. But I, I don't know. I just it's, Lately, especially whenever he does get the game time in the cup competitions, it seems like he really flourishes. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, once he gets there, if he does get a stranglehold on that spot, I think that he might be the kind of player that's not going to let it go and he's going to churn out a few decent to pretty good performances. Um, so moving on from the, the Wolves fixture a little bit, like I said, uh, Villa ends up drawing Liverpool in the quarterfinals, and uh, Mr. Jurgen Klopp isn't happy with his uh, fixture congestion going on in the month of December. Um, if you actually look at their, uh, I guess, their run of games, it's it's very, very clustered. It's very, very congested. Um, and Klopp has said that unless the FA steps in and arranges a more suitable day for the play of the quarterfinals, Liverpool will withdraw from the competition. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you what do you make of Klopp? I don't I, I don't want to say begging, but it kind of seems like he's begging for a little bit of special treatment. Do you think it's a sign of the times, or is it a point that players should be gifted a little bit more time to recover with a with a congested fixture list? Well, I mean, it, I, I do think that players do need more time to recover. Um, you know, I think uh, there was a video by Tifo Football about uh, Son Hyung Min uh, that came in the summer, and I think last season he played something like it was an outrageous amount of games. It was like seventy games because he was playing for South Korea, he was playing for Spurs um, in all competitions, and. You know, play, play. I think Raul Jimenez is quite similar over at Wolves. You know, players do need this time to recover. It's it's not great for their physical health in the long term, and it's it's not it's not going to be good for their mental health. You know, if they're not having the time to recover during the summer, then you know it's it, it's gonna get on top of them. Um, but with in regards to the Liverpool uh, quarter final, I believe that the uh, the the fixture would be on the eighteenth of December. Or the seventeenth of December, and the day after, they're playing in the uh, World Club Cup or Club yeah, World it, Cup. Yeah, it's it's tough, and like I can see it on both sides of the fence. And I, I, you know, I've seen a multitude of opinions that you know he's asking for special treatment. Another one that says, well, you know, you're the champions of Europe. You know, they had their own you know midweek uh, Carabao Cup match against Arsenal, and they fielded a predominantly younger squad. Um, you know, it was an entertaining match and everything, but you would think that a, a club, you know, the size of Liverpool would be able to rotate players in and out. And I know that, you know, Klopp doesn't necessarily want to do that. He would never want to disrespect an opponent with putting out a, a weakened team. You know, all those kind of different thoughts come into play. But I do think that recovery is an important part of any sport, especially in football and especially when you're in multiple, multiple, you know, competitions. It's almost, I, and I heard this from a couple um, football supporter friends of mine, that it's almost like, you know, you can't be punishing the fitness and the overall health of players just due to the fact that they're really good and they found themselves in all these competitions especially in the the latter parts of it so I can sympathize with that I just I don't know how the FA is going to work it out I don't want to see Liverpool drop this game I do want to play it you know and it's it's a little bit selfish on my part by saying that because I want Villa to play the best teams all the time I think there's lessons to be learned still and I think you know that, that Villa will only benefit from from playing a team like Liverpool, you know, three times in a year instead of two. So I, I mean, I don't know. That's just where I stand. It. I'm not saying it's right, but that, that's you know, I just don't know how it's going to get resolved. I just hope that it's amicable for everybody. Yeah, I mean, there's been talk of um, 
them filled in like you know two completely separate squads. Um, but the issue with that is that the cl- uh, Club World Cup or World Club Cup, I can't remember what it's called, is in Qatar. Um, so there's no way that Jurgen Klopp can realistically manage an evening fixture with you know a second string side consisting of the likes of like you know Ryan Brewster and and those kind of players. And then fly to Qatar and the next day manage his senior squad. Um, so if they w- were to have to do something like that, then you know th- it would be the case of maybe like the the uh, under twenty three manager managing. Um, but then you know there's there's issues there that likely will rise for for the FA. Um, so I do think that the the, uh, the the fixture will change date, but I think you know. We need to stay wary of how fair it is for Villa as well. You know, if it gets moved to January, January is a really important month for us. Yeah, it is, and I was looking at that as well. I I read something. I don't know if it even came from a you know from anything that that knew what they were talking about, but it said something about January seventh, I believe it was. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You look at, at Villa's list, and you look you look at Liverpool's list of games to be played, and I I do feel for Liverpool. I really do. I I, I honestly do. I don't think that it, you can really foresee this happening. I think it just happens, and you know Liverpool. You know they almost lost that game against Arsenal. You know to get into the quarterfinals. So I mean, like again, it was an entertaining game. They did it with you know majority of young players they have and they do have a strong crop of players that academy is actually pretty decent so yeah I don't know I just I, I just hope it gets worked out that everybody's happy with it everybody's okay with it I don't think that they're going to get any kind of special treatment whatsoever but I mean that's up to Klopp to manage at that point yeah I mean for me I, I, I wouldn't say it's special treatment if I'm honest you know but it's it's one of those difficult things. Um, maybe if they could bring it forward rather than pushing it back, um, that could be something. But I, I, I do know that it's going to be televised on, on Sky Sports. So uh, for those people that have struggled to find Carabao Cup stream so far this season, they'll be able to uh, be able to watch that one. Yeah, and that, that's definitely a big thing over here in the States because the only way you can watch Carabao Cup games is if you have an ESPN Plus subscription. At least that's the best way that I've found out to do it. So for a game like that, such as, you know, Villa and Liverpool and, you know, get more people to be able to watch Aston Villa, even if they're not necessarily Aston Villa supporters. But uh, let's let's move after the Wolves game here a little bit. Let's go into the, the one that everybody's talking about, and that would be playing Liverpool. A uh, lot of opinions of what, what was going to happen leading up to this match. Or some people positive, some people were scared, some people thought, you know, go out there, give it your best shot and see what happens. But at the end of the day in this match, Villa played pretty br- brilliantly against the champion, the reigning champions of Europe, rather. Uh, what, what did you make of the match? Was there was there anything leading up to the game that, that you had in your mind? Well, I think the biggest thing was learning from our mistakes against Manchester City. You know, we 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 were fine for forty five minutes and then capitulated into you know nothingness and ended up losing the game three nil. Um, but I think we started on the front foot. You know, uh, Anwar Al Ghazi found himself in a position to score within the opening thirty seconds of the game, and uh, you know he dribbled past the the undribbleable uh, Virgil Van Dijk and. You know, he had a shot on goal, but drilled it straight towards Allison, and you know the goalkeeper was able to hold on to it. Um, but Liverpool's first dangerous attack didn't really come until like the 16th or 15th minute, um, and I think that was as Jordan Henderson floated a ball into the box, and uh, Sadio Mane got got uh, got himself free in front of goal, uh, but headed just wide. And you know, 
from those opening kind of, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it looked like Villa were really up for it. Uh, kind of similar to the Man City game. And uh, we actually ended up taking the lead in the 20th minute as Sadio Mane conceded uh, consecutive free kicks. And uh, John McGinn swung a ball into the box and uh, Trezeguet was there to volley it past Alisson. Uh, the ball ricocheted off his leg and into the back of the net. Yeah, I th- I th- it was a big time for a big goal. And, you know, to see Trezeguet step up like that, uh, the cross, again, from a free kick opportunity from John McGinn was was really, really nice. It was, you know, what you expect to see from John McGinn, especially in the absence of Jack Grealish, who's usually taken some, most of the free kicks, I'd say. Um, sometimes he'll, he'll lay it off for somebody else. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's important for Trezeguet to get off the mark. I think he had probably one of his better games against Liverpool. Um, first 45, I-, I thought Villa played well enough to get themselves into the lead. I just... I didn't think that it was ever – in the first 45, Liverpool definitely pressed Villa, and they definitely had a lot of things going on. They were getting to their game as the minutes rolled on. But it never really seemed like – it seemed like almost Villa was frustrating them, like Liverpool almost underestimated them a little bit going into the game. And then when they figured out that, hey, we have wingers with pace and we have midfielders that you know hunt down balls and, and mark men a little differently, like John McGinn and uh, Douglas Louise, I thought it, it, they got a little bit – upset about that they weren't used to that usually I guess they're used to teams just putting 11 behind the ball and Villa didn't look like doing that in the first half at all what, what do you think the Villa ever looked like they were cowering the Liverpool in the first half at all it just seemed like they were it was almost like a quiet confidence among the Villa players and the Liverpool players were just constantly in the referee's ear at every single opportunity no I think it was you know it was a decent showing from Villa um for the whole game to be honest but especially the first half and you know, I, I don't think that there was any kind of fear within the first half. Um, you know, a lot of players were, were doing well. Um, and, you know, you, you expect to be on the back foot a little bit against the sides uh, sides like Liverpool and Man City. And, you know, it, it, it didn't necessarily feel that way at times. Uh, but I think this was probably helped by the fact that um, probably for the first time in... As long as I can remember, um, Trezeguet and Anwar Al Ghazi were, were were doing really well to kind of trap back and and have a defensive input in the game. Um, I can't remember whether it was the first or second half, but there, there was one key moment where uh, Al Ghazi tracked back and and slid in, uh, won the ball, and put it out for a throw in. And I was really impressed by by that because I don't think I've ever seen Al Ghazi slide tackle before. <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly, defensively, I think that both of those wingers had really, really good games. And I said it in the last podcast, and I even think the one before that, you know, these wingers have to be a little bit more defensively responsible when you're going up against top six teams. There's some absolute world class talent among the top six in the Premier League. So, I mean, and for Trezeguet and El Ghazi, uh, their entire career basically they've been you know the person that has to get forward and have to make cut cuts and sides and they have to overlap and all those kind of things but to see them actually like hold their ground not be afraid to put in a tackle not be afraid to run back and like you know covering Saudi Amane is not like one of the one of the easiest things to do um a very explosive player we all know that with his pace um Maybe a little bit of a diver, but we might get onto that a little bit later. But he's still a talent, and it's still hard to mark a player like that. So I, I think that, you know, Trezeguet definitely and Al Ghazi for sure had, had their best all around, well rounded game um, for me. Uh, I just, 
I think Trezeguet getting off the mark is big. I can't. I, maybe that's just an instinctual gut feeling for me, but I just think that that's really big. It'll give him that confidence, if he didn't already have it, that he can be a threat offensively. I think for me, the, the most important thing is that we need to play with the mindset like we're playing against Liverpool every week. You know, if we're against Newcastle or against Wolves, we're not just going to... Uh, surprisingly those are our next two fixtures um it, we're not just going to like you know sit back soak up the pressure we'll 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 be on the front foot foot against both those sides i feel um but we need our attacking players to play the way that they did against liverpool we need wesley to be pressing opposition defenders like he was uh, in the latter stages of the Liverpool game and we need Anwar and Trezeguet to trap back and make those tackles that they were making because you know granted it gives us less opportunity on the counter attack but it, it it just it just worked for me for for long periods of the game yeah, I think so too. I, th- I think that that's actually something, you know, you talk about the mindset of these players going in into teams that maybe they think are, they're equal to, or maybe Villa thinks they're just a little bit better than. So, you know, it's no disrespect, but v- Villa has had the ability to play down to their opponents over the years. And yes, it's a whole new side and we're in the Premier League now, but I totally 150,000% agree with you that if they carry on this mindset and the, the lessons they learned in this past week against Man City and against Liverpool, I think if they can keep that up and they can just understand that they have the ability to hang with the better sides in this league and they put that in and they put their paces in and they train like that every week and and the tactics are there and whatnot. I think that this team could go places this year. And I don't mean places like top six and I'm not saying even top 10, but they can get to where they want to be, which is cementing themselves within the premier league. Um, a lot of people think that the psychoanalysis of football has gotten completely out of control. In some aspects, I can agree with that. But I think in the in the case of being prepared and having a positive mindset, you can't put a price tag on something like that. So if they learn their lessons, you know, quickly or quicker than usual, and they just apply themselves a little bit more like they do going up against the top six team, I think you're going to see short term success for Villa. And I'm not saying we're going to go on some magical ten game run like we did last season, but it'll at least be a respectable showing, and they can put a good account themselves that they can be a threat within the league no matter who, who you're playing on a week-in week-out basis yeah something something that i want to bring up as well it's more in in um kind of respect for the whole game is that this was the first time that i really felt that we weren't a one-man team um you know we we've seen in in periods where jack was injured in the championship that we'd struggle against teams you know I, I don't want to call out specific championship teams because you know they're all they're all decent you know teams um but we we struggled without jack and we were we looked you know one dimensional at times and for the first time i really felt like wow you know if jack was to have a you know uh a month-long injury, I think we'd we'd still be able to pick pick up points in this league, and that's that's really good. I think we've actually got the talent in the squad now. You know, Jack does bring that added dynamic to to the way we play. But for the first time, and I think you know we have to you know call it out that that we we were able to 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 deal with not having him in the squad. Yeah, I think in years past that it was you don't really know what you got till it's gone when it came to Jack Grealish. And then Grealish would be out with an injury, and then it seemed like the the side was in complete disarray. Um, 
I think that you now have the young, hungry, ambitious squad to where if Jack does go down for one reason or another, that they don't see that as, oh, my God, what we're going to do. It's almost like, well, hey, Jack's out. I got a, I got a chance to impress here. And I kind of think you saw that a little bit with Trezeguet and El Ghazi. I think, you know, there uh, there is pride for the badge, especially in terms with El Ghazi because he's been here longer, obviously. I think he does really, really enjoy playing for Villa. You heard what his comments were after the playoff win last year to, you know, gain promotion. Obviously, he cares a great deal about this club. So when you know the talisman, you know of Jack Grealish is no longer available for one reason or another, he might have a little bit something to prove to himself and to and to his head coach. Um, I'm I love that. I thought I, going into it, and when the team sheets were released and Grealish's name wasn't even on the bench, I kind of got a little nervous. But I wasn't going to pass judgment to see what these players are going to play like without him because um, you know I, I don't know if it's even really being talked about a lot. The only permanent player. You know, that Villa had last season was on the pitch against Liverpool, which John McGinn. Everyone else has been brought in or got signed on a permanent from their loan. So, you know, it's 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 just a little bit different whenever you don't have that presence of Jack Grealish there. But I think the lads did brilliantly. I think uh, I, it's not really being talked about, but I, I think that they you know need to be applauded for what they showed, that they're not just a one-man team. And if Jack goes down, it's not the end of the world. And it's just hungry, young talent that's getting better all the time. They're gelling all the time. So I, I, I don't know. Were, were you pleased with it did you did you think that you know there was anything i'm seeing a lot of people say oh well imagine if jack was on the pitch we would have won the game and you know that that you'll never know but do you think that with jack you know being excluded because of the injury do you think it really mattered now that, that we have all these like talented players I, I like i said earlier I, I do think it would have added that extra little like you know dynamic to the squad but um <clears throat> I, I I think yeah you know you mentioned that John was the only uh, player that was that was at the club last season uh, permanently. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I think that just shows how how quickly the the side have had to evolve. Um, you know they've 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 been here what the vast majority of them have been here for what three three months. Um, and you know they're going toe to toe for Liverpool for large swathes of the game. So, you know, I think it, it is a positive, regardless of the end result. Um, something I, I want to bring up, it was it was the Battle of the Pharaohs. Um, you know, Trezeguet had quite a lively game, obviously scored, but uh, Mo Salah had a very quiet game. His only real chance um, came as, as Mane broke into the Villa box, kind of slowed the ball down and found Salah, who uh, fired over the bar. You know, were you surprised that Salah had such a quiet game, or or did you expect, you know, only one of the Egyptians to uh, make an impact in the game? Um, I I really like Mo Salah as a player. I I really think he can bring a lot to a game. Obviously, I was incredibly surprised that he didn't bury a couple of the chances he had, or it didn't look like he was able to get past some some Villa players and that's obviously not me wishing that I'm Villa through and through but I just expected him to kind of take the game uh to Villa a little bit more and he just didn't he was flying balls over uh over the net when he was in in chances to score his crossing didn't look great um defensively he wasn't getting back he was running a fair amount and I know he's just coming back from a little bit of an injury over the past week week and a half but um I don't know it didn't even look like he was injured it just looked like he was having a hard time getting to his strengths and um what what I wasn't expecting that from from Mo Salah what 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 did you feel I, th- I think for me that you know with the quality in Liverpool's front three, 
that you have to expect one of them to have a bad game. Um, and more often than not, of late, it has been Mo Salah, you know. Uh, Firmino is so important to the way that that side play. Um, uh, but Mane had probably the, the, the uh, loudest game of the front three. And, you know, it showed as Salah was taken off. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, if Liverpool are really on song, then all three will have a good game. But, you know, they weren't on song in that first half, especially. And, you know, it was it was Salah who was, wasn't up to scratch. Yeah, it was just surprising for me to see. I, I, and, you know, I know he, he's had a little bit of a downturn in form, you know, by his standards last year and the year before and whatnot. But it's still one of those things where it, when you think Liverpool, you think about the, the front three, at least I do, and how threatening they could be. And like you said, they, they just weren't on song in the first 45 minutes. Um, and again, Mane, like you said, it had the loudest game for sure. I think it's maybe one of those things where, Villa just coming up in, in their recent form and everything like that. And you see Liverpool on the on the sheet and, you know, that game's coming up. And then all, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, man, what happens if they do have that game where they're all on song? And you just don't want to get embarrassed. But, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying that I think Villa put it a really, really good account of themselves against Liverpool, even with the late heartbreak. I'm still not over it. Uh, I, you know, I, I probably won't be, but I, I can hold my head high and know that this this team's getting better all the time, and you know things like that will help out the cause in the long run. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we obviously went in at halftime. The the stronger the two sides, we were a goal up. Um, but it seems very similar to the the Man City game in a way that it, it kind of. It kind of, I wouldn't say it capitulated, but they were, the, the, the opposition were fired up when they came out for the second half. And even before the 50 minute mark, Liverpool were able to register in, you know, two shots at, at the goal. Uh, both were straight at Tom Heaton and simple for him to deal with, really. Um, and he, you know, despite, you know, the two goals conceded, Heaton had a very respectable performance and pulled out some really kind of clutch saves. Um, there was one uh, towards the latter, latter stages of the game, and he uh, kind of like rushes out. I think I can't remember who he's meeting. I think it's Mane. Uh, Mane heads the ball, and it kind of bounces off Heaton's chest. I thought at first it bounced off his head, um, but that's that actually started a counter attack, and you know it, it was really impressive um, performance by Heaton. And you know we we, yeah, we sp- I- oh, Garen. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, like you're just about to allude to that we spoke about it the past couple of weeks. But I mean, how how good is Tom Heaton? Like, how how good is he? I I think he's class to me. I I think he made more than a few saves against Liverpool that you don't really see keepers make in the Premier League too much, especially against Liverpool. I mean, how did you how did you feel about some of the things that he was dealing with? Because like you said, Liverpool came out of that out of you know the room and it was bombs away for them they were they were upset you know for it they they look like an angry team that had something to prove to themselves at least to me yeah i mean you could tell that they were they were getting frustrated because a lot of their shots were, were coming from quite long quite long distances and coming from their midfield players um but yeah he had a great game that the other than the one i've, I've already mentioned there's there's i think it was a cross and I can't remember whether it was from uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold or Jordan Henderson. And it kind of swivelled as it was uh, like played in. He had to make a kind of last gasp, gasp, gasp save to um, you know palm it out. I can't remember whether he palmed it into the box or out for a corner now. But it, he's, he's got that awareness of, you know, 
if he hadn't taken that, then someone could have been there to pounce on it. Yeah, and I didn't really think that Tom Heaton would be how he is and to perform how he has so far this season, but he has my 100% faith, and it's it's hard done on Jed Steer with everything that Jed did for us this past season. But, I mean, Tom Heaton just – he I don't feel – I don't really have that anxiety when things are starting to starting to heat up a little bit and Villa's on their back on their heels a little bit and they're they're maybe pinned or maybe it's a fast breakout. I, I just feel that Tom Heaton's kind of like a calm presence back there. Um, he, we've seen him be a fiery guy a little bit. Like he he responds well to us scoring goals and he's always given Angles and Mings a little bit of words of encouragement whenever things aren't going you know ways so far. So I think he's a leader. He's an experienced goalkeeper. I think it's one of the better signings that Villa could have actually made this past year. Now now that we're starting to get in you know progressing more in the Premier League season. But um yeah, I, I think that he's he's a really really solid keeper and I I haven't seen anyone say anything really bad about him especially, you know, with the the two late goals. I, I don't think he could have done anything about that. No, I think the the only mistake he's really made so far this season is against Bournemouth on the the first home game of the season. Um but yeah, it, you mentioned Engels and Mings and you know, probably 10 10 Ten, twelve minutes into the uh, into the second half, and Origi and Oxlade Chamberlain were brought on for uh, Salah and Wijnaldum, and you know that that kind of changed Liverpool a little bit, and they they kind of looked a bit rejuvenated. Um, I think that, I think it was in the sixty eighth, sixty ninth minute, and they had three consecutive shots on goal. Um, and it was blocked and charged down by Engels, then Mings, then Target. You know they were putting their bodies on the line, and they were, they, you know, they were kind of not caring about their personal well-being. You know, that there, there were stages of the game. Like I think Elmo took a shot to the back of the head. Uh, Engels took a, a, a real heavy shot straight to the face. Um, but it, it was, you know, they they were willing to play for the badge on the front, and that. That's something that's really good to see at Villa, especially with some of the, the mercenaries we've had in the past. I, I just think that you need characters like that at your football club. I think you need people who don't care about their physical well-being if it means making a play or stopping you know, a goal from happening um, or even scoring a goal. I, I think that's the sign of having the kind of character that breeds winning mentality. Um yeah, I, I, again, it's it sounds like I'm romanticizing it a little bit, but but maybe I am. It, it's just a fact of you need players that are going to do that, and Aston Villa needed at some point in time to get back to having players like that, and I feel they really have them now, especially with Mings and Angles. Um, again, maybe not be the best center-back pairing in the entire league, but they have the heart, and they have the care, and they communicate well, and they're, they're doing the job to the best of their abilities. Again, these are two guys that are going to grow together, and that's the partnership. That's the number one pairing. Um, it's no knock on any other center backs that are currently at Aston Villa. I just think that these two men will get it down to a science of where they know where each other are all the time. Uh, like Again, they communicate really, really well. They're constantly talking to each other. 
Um, and Ingles allows Mings to get forward and play those long lofty balls up to Wesley or up to one of the wingers. I love seeing that as well. And Matty Target, I didn't think he had it in him to block a shot from like four yards away, but you know, good on him. Um, but yeah, it's just all a character thing. And again, that, that breeds winning and, you know, I'm sure Dean Smith loves it. Maybe he's not so happy about, you know, some of the blocks to where Tyron Mings, you know, had to stretch left or stretch right with his hands at his sides or anything like that. He wasn't really protecting his face or anything, but you know, the goal didn't go in, and you'd love to see that kind of thing, especially from Mings. Yeah, and then from here, it was pretty much all Liverpool. Um, Villa did have a chance to, to go 2-0 up as uh, a counter-attack saw Conor Hurahan uh, burst into the box after Trezeguet played him in. And he had the opportunity to either shoot or play the ball square as Alisson rushed out off his line. And Hurahan chose to square it, and it, you know it came to nothing. I, personally, I think he should have taken a shot, but you know it's it's one of those things. Who's to say that Allison wouldn't have saved it? You know he made himself big um, in front of the Irish midfielder, um, and and then really from there it all went downhill for Villa. Um, Andy Robertson bought the sides level in eighty in the eighty seventh minute as Mane played a, a really really special ball into the back post. Um, and um, you know Robertson beat Al Ghazi to the ball, headed the roof, headed the ball into the roof of the net, and you know I think he and maybe maybe could have done a little bit better, but you know he's probably expecting Al Ghazi to beat Robertson to that ball. Um, and then after that, you know Nakamba gave away a free kick. Alexander Arnold fires it, goes. Uh, off a de- it deflects off the wall, goes out for a corner, and the resulting corner allows Mane to score a header that wrongfoots the entire Aston Villa defence and finds its way into the corner of the net. Yeah, and the the resulting free kick you talked about with the uh, Nakamba giving up a free kick. Um, I saw a couple of people really angry that Nakamba did that. I think that's one of those professional foul situations, and you kind of have to. Um, I, I I thought Marvelous did really well. Um, it's um, again, I'm still a little beaten up about the fact that Villa once again, you know, had a lead in the first half and completely squander it in the second. I, I know the opposition's Liverpool. I know that they're one of the best teams in the world right now. I get it, but I really felt like going into the game at halftime with a one nil lead. Maybe not. We didn't get another one, but maybe we were able to frustrate them even further the way they're going to keep pushing their chances wide or just miscommunicating or just not looking like the Liverpool side that we're used to seeing. But, um, yeah, that, that ball you were talking about from Sadio Mane was absolutely – it was universe class. It wasn't even world class. That's an insane cross to make. And that just shows the kind of the kind of players that they have at Liverpool. And it's not a thing to be jealous of. It's a thing to aspire to be. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think you can be jealous to a point. But, um, yeah, it's, it's something to aspire to. You look, you look at the, uh, the way that the Premier League was – when Villa left, and you look at the way it is now, and it has changed completely and utterly, and you know, you you have to aspire to be part of that change. You know, there could be a team that goes down this year. Let's say Southampton; they've been in the league for some time. They could come back up in three or four years' time, and we could be a dominant force in this league. Anything can happen. Um, but there's 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 three words. One's technically a number that I want to bring up to you, and I, I know you're going to rant about it. Um, five minutes stoppage time, and that's four words. <laughs> uh, get, I just I don't see where the plus five comes from. I watched back the the game 
three or four times now I've done stat digging on it. I, I mentioned something about Twitter that, you know, there are positives to take from this game. You know, it's, it's easy to say like, Hey, we played really well against Liverpool and, you know, we didn't get completely dismantled and they didn't win six, no, or anything like that. But the plus five stoppage time, I just, I would love to, I'd love to get my hands on that clock. And then I'd like to beat it with a hammer because it's wrong. And it was never plus five stoppage time. And before I get too angry on the podcast and end up sounding like a crazy person, I, I think that it was as very unfortunate that it was plus five. I, I I was pretty vocal about it on social media. I'm still going to be a little vocal about it. It did upset me, but the result is what it is. I'm just saying that I, I think it's closer to plus two or plus three. And if it's closer to plus two or plus three, the second goal that never happens. And Villa walks away with a point against one of the best teams and the reigning champions of Europe. All right, Regan, I'm done talking. I'm going to get mad. I'm going to stop talking about it. <laughs> Would you argue that uh, Fergie time is now Klopp time, perhaps? I think so. And they've showed a definite interest to be that team. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. It also makes me think that they just have a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. Uh, James Milner himself tweeted out after the game that, you know, if you suffer from heart problems of any sort, it's probably not a good idea to support Liverpool this year. They've had more than a few uh, comebacks and magical, dramatic moments. But at the end of the day, it was never plus five. <laughs> I'll change the subject before you get even even more upset. Um so Villa uh, this weekend face Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, at the Molyneux in their next Premier League fixture, and it, it's going to be it's going to be a test and it's going to be a tasty affair. Um, Wolves haven't lost a game in the league in six games, and they would absolutely love to make it seven against us. Um, but this almost feels like a, a bit of a Brighton game. You know, it seems like Villa need to get something from this game. Um, Wolves have, have drawn a lot of their matches this season. I'd be happy with a point against Wolves, but I'd be even happier with three points. Um, you know, they're, they're a formidable side. They've got they've got some real talent. Uh, Raul Jimenez, Diogo Jota, Ruben Neves, and Villa old boy Adama Traore. Um, you know, what, what do you make of this Wolves side, and how do you think that that their 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 difference? Um, has come across, you know, in in last season and this season. I I think they're a really really good side, and I don't think they're having the same kind of heights of the season they had last year. But I I don't think it's a rollover game. I I what I want to see from Aston Villa, I want Aston Villa to take the lessons they just learned from Manchester City and Liverpool and apply them to Wolves and and beat them three one. I'd be very very happy with that. Uh, Wolves are a, a bit of a mixed bag of tricks, and by that I mean that like a, almost every player in their starting eleven has the ability to influence a game. Um, and that's most sides in the Premier League, but it just seems like the players that Wolves have had that they've accumulated over the past three to three to four years now, they're really gelling together. It's almost something that Aston Villa, again, needs to aspire to be, to just keeping a core, a core group of players together. Don't worry about you know having crazy buys or anything like that. Let them learn together. I think this is going to be a, a somewhat of a really scrappy game. I don't know why I get that feeling. I just think that there's going to be a little bit of a emotional attachment here with both sides trying to do well within the league. But I do favor Villa, and the only re- one of the only reasons I favor Villa is because I think we can break out against 
against them on the counterattack. Their wide men like to get forward a lot, and um, I just think with our fullbacks and our wingers, especially if Jack comes back healthy for this one, I think they're going to have a little bit of an issue. What do you feel about the Wolves game? Well, I know they're struggling in defence at the moment. Um, I think... I think Ryan Bennett, I think it is. I, I think it's his first name. Um, he's only just coming back from from injury. He should be fit for the, the game on Sunday. Um, but they've had uh, Willie Bolly, who's out long-term. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to have to have a, a little bit of a makeshift defence. Um, as well as that, they're within the top 10 teams in the Premier League when it comes to goals conceded. Um so you know they, they they don't give up goals that easily, um, but with with a makeshift defence, I can see Villa getting a couple. Um, but I, I would I would like to see Villa win or at least draw. You know, losing through on the bounce isn't going to be good. Yeah, the Willie Bowley injury I think is a big, big deal for Wolverhampton. I mean, it's obvious if you follow Wolves or if you keep an eye on, you know, other injuries or other results for you know teams that are should be around Villa or maybe a little bit ahead of Villa. But I think with the absence of Bowley uh, with Wolves, I think that actually brings a really, really good point that Wesley might be able to really have a game here. And I'm not saying he's going to get a hat trick or anything like that, but I think with the size of Wesley, with what we saw him do, especially toward the latter stages of the Liverpool game, um, if he can keep that kind of thing up and and just kind of like forcing the back line a little bit especially against a makeshift defense as i'm speaking about with wolves he could have a game here so that's what i would look out for i'd look out for the big body of wesley up against the back four of wolves and maybe cause them a little bit of a problem not only in the height advantage but also maybe keeping the ball with his feet a little bit more uh that's something i said in previous podcasts i'd like to see him do that um just hold off the ball and then make completed passes because he did not do that against liverpool don't listen to the people that are saying that he did against liverpool because he did not um i've i've watched every single touch every single ball that's come to that man's feet in the Liverpool game I'm not slagging him off he's going to get better he's very young in a new country we all know all the things about that but I just think that this could be a game for Wes to to really kind of show what he has against the makeshift defense well I was speaking to a couple of Wolves fans that I work with and they they they, they are not very strong uh, at defending set pieces um and I, I brought up, you know, that they, they usually play three central defenders. Um, with with the absence of Bolly, it's likely to be Bennett, Sice and Cody. Um, and none of them are over six foot one. Um, whereas we've got Wesley who's six foot three, Tyrone at six foot five and Bjorn Engels at six three, nearly six four. Um, so, you know... I, th- I really think we need to make the most of, you know, free kicks into the box, corners into the box, and and really punish them um, for for their lack of height in defence. I would love to see that. I, I think that's something that Villa needs to work on in general. Is just the goals coming off free cook free kick opportunities and again those statistics are pretty much down this year it's same with corners it's same with free kicks it's kind of you're kind of seeing goals come from them after the initial free kick more so than you are from like the free kick to header to goal type of thing so I mean it's down league wide a little bit but I I don't see why it couldn't be something to work on and something to get a little bit better at if if you're Dean Smith and the coaching staff I know they work on things of that nature in in the actual you know week with training but I still think that it can be an advantage 
But again, it's such a weird tactical thing to try to emulate before a game because you don't want a bunch of players like you know pushing off each other and injuring each other just on on, on corner practice. Basically, um, the free kick opportunity will always be there for Villa with the players they have on their side. Um, do you think Jack comes back? Do you think Jack wants to play against Wolves? You know, especially away from Villa Park, or do you think he sits this one out as a as a precautionary thing? I expect him to be fit, and I expect him to to play. You know, it, it's. He obviously missed the game against Liverpool, um, and I think Gareth will probably be watching, or he'll have someone at the game watching. So he'll want to impress. It's it's a local rivalry. I wouldn't go as far to say it's a derby. Um, so yeah, I think Jack plays, and I think Jack has a good game, uh, regardless of the result, because he'll he'll want to get to the point where it's uh, you know. Secured that he's in the England squad for these next round of international fixtures. Yeah, I also find it funny that we're going to come against Wolves with it's the whole Connor Cody should have been picked ahead of Tyrone Mings argument from the Wolverhampton you know supporters and then and then the Aston Villa supporters. Um, I do think Cody's a good defender. I just don't think he's a good, as good as a defender as Tyrone Mings. Um, so e- even for the England argument, I just think Mings brings a little bit more. Um, I'm hoping that this doesn't mean that Cody's going to have a, a world game and, and blank Villa at every turn of the road. But I, I don't know. I just I just think that Villa has something going forward that Wolves they they may have seen it before uh, going up against other teams. Again, I just think if if this this team could mentally prepare themselves for a game against Wolves the same way as Man City and Liverpool, I, I don't think a lot of teams are are gonna uh, enjoy playing Aston Villa under under that situation. I fully agree, and I think that's probably the best place to end this week's episode. But before we end, Mark, what's your musical choice this week? I keep having this song pop up on my Spotify. Um, it's kind of like the recommendations playlist. I, I I turn it on once a week. It always like reshuffles and stuff like that. But the song's called One Rizla by a band called Shame. Um, yeah, it just keeps on popping up on my uh, recommendations. And I, I really like the band. I really like the song. So check it out. Hope you like it. Okay. And mine is uh, something that popped up over Halloween. Um, and it's it's quite relevant considering that they're reforming. Um, it's Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. You know, I, I was never really a big fan of them, but it is a good song and I think that's undeniable. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, give us a rating, a subscription, a like, a comment, whatever you want. Um, feel free to give us constructive criticism. Preferably not via rating, though. Um, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can do at Villa Lamp on Twitter, at Under a Gaslit Lamp on Instagram, forward slash Under a Gaslit Lamp on Facebook, and you can view all the latest news, opinion, and more on www.underagaslitlamp.com. Thanks for listening, and up the villa. <laughs>